Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Turn with me in Scripture to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse, and verse 11. What's interesting about, um, about the person of Jesus, again, uh, people are familiar with His name, familiar with the story of Jesus. But what I found uh, is really beautiful about Jesus is, is that really um, throughout the, the, the archives of history, even from the very beginning, people have tried to understand God. Would, would you agree? Or even understand a higher power, a higher being. Like, and what is He like? What, how do I approach Him? How do I get to Him? How, what does He want me to do? What does He require of me? And so for centuries and centuries, people try to figure out, how do I, how do I get to this God person? What, what do I need? to do and, and, and many religions were formed out of this idea that there is a higher power and I must try and get to it. But what I love about the Christian faith for us who are Jesus followers is that God is so amazing. He got to a point and said, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of you trying to figure out what I'm like. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what I'm like. Now, now you're going to understand when you see the character of Jesus, what you must recognise is that when you look at Him, you're looking at God. So there is, look, it's not like a good cop, bad cop routine in heaven where God's like the angry, judgmental and Jesus is like the good cop and He's coming like, Dad, take it easy, don't judge them. Like, no, 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 you've got to recognise He came, the Bible said, to make the Father known. So if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. The way Jesus responded to people, the way He treated people, the way He, come on, how many people know? It was pretty amazing. So if you want to know what God thinks about you, look at Jesus. Jesus is God personified, God with flesh on it. And He wanted you and I to know exactly what He was like, His character, His personality, the way, again, the way He treats people, especially those who were considered the least of these. And so it's pretty amazing to give attention to the person of Jesus. Would you agree? Okay, so, so this one story we're going to jump on is Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Why, why is this story so important? We'll unpack it over the next few moments. But Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says it like this, and we can chuck it up on, the, on this huge... Um, Kindle on steroids. Here we go. Ready? Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says like this. Soon afterwards, he's talking about, uh, sorry, verse 30, it's chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a... You know, people don't want to yell out in church just in case they yell out the wrong thing. You know that one person who yells out, Moses. And like, no, no. <laughs> No, don't be that joker, okay? But it's on the screen. It's on the screen. Here we go. The woman of the city who was a sinner. a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Another translation referred to this ointment as, as pure nard, which I find, I think that's pretty fascinating, don't you reckon? Like if you're going to choose a name for perfume, really? Pure nard? That doesn't sell very well. What are you wearing? Is that pure nard? Like, no, it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. But either way, that's what it was. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know or would have known who and what sort of woman she is who is touching him for she is a, there's that word again, a. Okay, so already this woman's got a reputation. She walks into the religious dinner party and straight away they know what type of woman she is. They know her story. They know her background to the point where men, they just labour her straight away. 
And if Jesus really was the prophet who he says he is, then he would know as well because man, it's pretty obvious to tell what type of woman she is. But yet what, this, this is what crazy what takes place. Jesus, he, he sees this whole thing taking place and being the master storyteller, he turns to him and says, hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, let's say $500. The other owed him $50. Now it goes on to say this, when they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Okay, just catch that. There's, there's two people there. They're both in debt, both can't pay, but he forgives the debt of both. Okay, so that's interesting. He goes on to say, now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, uh, I guess suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, can you just catch that for a moment? Like, I don't know if you saw that, that this is beautiful, that even though Jesus is dealing with this woman's accusers, his countenance is still towards her. Like that's profound. Again, the posture of Christ says so much about His character. Why? Because even when He's dealing with the issues that the woman's facing, He's still longingly, lovingly looking towards her. Like that is, that's beautiful. And the Bible says, He turns to the woman, He said to Simon, hey, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. With her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil going on, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her, hey, her sins, there's this word again, which are, which are many, there's a lot of them. Guess what? They're forgiven. Just like that. For she did a whole bunch of religious stuff. Because she went to church heaps and she read the Bible and she, no, 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 like the, no works, nothing. Just simply that she, she just loved much. The Bible says, but he who is forgiven little, watch this, just loves little. And we're going to stop this story from there. And, and, and I, I want to kind of talk around this thought, this idea that is very close to my heart that I want to share with you tonight. But if, if you're taking notes, and for all those people that are taking notes and, and want to go to heaven, I want you to write this down. No, I'm joking. Somebody panic. Quick, give me a pen. It's all right. Chill out. It's all good. I'm just, just playing. Tell them my thought for tonight is this, um, a strictly inclusive church, a strictly inclusive church. Now, would you give me a moment? We're going to pray. And, and as we pray, I want, I want you to just, again, just give me a blank canvas and let God do something in your heart tonight. Because I believe regardless of where you're at, whether you are a Jesus follower, or you're all new to this, I believe something significant can happen in your heart. But let's pray and commit this moment to God, shall we? Lord, we just thank you for everything you're doing. And I pray for this amazing church. And this moment, God, we just, we just give you space and we give you time that you would speak to us through your word. And you would help us, God, not just to be hearers of it, but doers of it, to live this out by your grace. And for those who are yet to receive and understand your grace, let that be just the, uh, the monumental truth, God, that hits their heart tonight, Lord. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, <clears throat> by show of hands, by show of hands, how many, how many people here tonight, um, you, you like going on holidays? Anyone? Look at this. So everyone in the room, how good are holidays? The best. I love holidays. Now, how many people would agree with this point? Uh, holidays are great, but how many people know the best type of holidays you can go on are the holidays you don't pay for? Yeah, come on, come on. And for all those who are still mooching off mum and dad said, amen, right? Okay, so yeah, a few of your parents going, that's right, just remember that. Okay, so, uh, so, so here's the thing. So me and my wife, Alana, like we've been married 16 years, but we met uh, in high school. We actually met at a punk rock concert. That's our story. It was awesome. They actually made a movie about it. It's called The Notebook. I'm joking, I'm joking. That's actually pretty bad. Don't, don't scrap that. But... Uh, 
we, uh, we met in high school, we dated, got married at 20. Now here's the thing, I married my wife for, for her personality and, and, and her heart and her good looks, all these things. But little did I know that when I married my wife, I, I actually married into money. Now don't judge me, right? Everyone's like, oh wow, that's very shallow. Whatever. Okay, so look, I didn't do it. It was, it was a byproduct, okay? I didn't realise it, but guess what? <laughs> I win. So, so I... Okay, so whatever. But we, we actually, my, my father-in-law, my in-laws, just, uh, he's an electrician, just a very successful businessman, done really well, but extremely generous people. So when we got married, now all the trips that they used to take the kids on, guess what? When you get married, two become one. So I'm coming too, right? So, so now I get to go along on the trip. So they have taken us on all these trips in the early years of our marriage. Like I'm talking like a two-week surf trip, all expenses paid to Fiji. Like, that's pretty good, right? Come on, it's so good. I'm like, yes, that's right. The wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous. No, I'm joking, I'm playing. I love my in-laws. But we, we went to uh, the snow for all expenses paid, like all these amazing trips. But here's the thing, my, uh, my, my parents, who my dad was a lawyer and, and very successful, you know, they, my, my, my wife would often say to me like, well, sweetheart, like when are your parents gonna take us on a trip? Like when's that gonna, because I feel like it's a one-way street right now. I said, well, babe, like, it's all good. Like, it's, it's, it's going to happen. They, they'll do that. I know this seems like first world problems, right? It's not a big deal. But she's like, when, when's, it, when's it going to happen? I said, well, baby, it'll happen. Just, 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 just chill out. It'll happen. So years go by of our marriage and my parents are yet to come to the table until one day <laughs> we get the phone call. My mum, hey, mum. Hey, sweetheart, could you, can you and Lana come over? Because me and your father, have got, we've got something we want to tell you. I said, well, okay, okay, mum, we'll come over. So we come around to the house. My mum is super excited. Like my mum's this tiny little thing. Like she's so tiny. She tried out for Lord of the Rings, didn't make the cut. You know what I'm talking about? Like she's <laughs> tiny. So I walk in, <laughs> so cruel. But I walk in and, and, and there's my mum and she's excited. Tiny little thing excited. My dad's there. They sit us down. They say, well, kids, we've got something we want to tell you. We're really excited because we want to take you on a holiday. I'm like, yes, the moment's happened. This is awesome. And then, and, but in my, in, my, in my heart, in my head, I'm like, you know what? Don't set your sights too high. Like I'm thinking, let's just let's set the standard low. So I'm thinking, wow, we're going to the, the magical place of Wollongong. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So my, but my mum, she says, well, actually, uh, me and your father want to take you on an all expenses, three weeks paid trip to Europe. I turned to my wife, I said, you see, right? Yeah, submit. No, I didn't say that. No, I would never say that to my wife. Dear Jesus, I'm brave now. She's not here, right? But I, I, we, ended up, we ended up going to the, to, to, the, to the airport to go on this trip. Man, I'm excited because how many, again, trips you don't pay for, the best. So we get to the airport. We go to check in with the air hostess lady. We give over our passports. She starts typing in the computer. She's frantically typing. I'm like, is, is, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, it's all good. Her face looks concerned. I said, are you sure everything's okay? She said, yeah, it's fine, sir. It's all good. I said, are you, are you sure it's okay? She's like, well, actually, there's been something wrong with your tickets. And I'm like, what do you mean wrong? What do you mean wrong with? And I'm trying to, I'm getting upset, but I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian as well. So I'm like, what do you mean, my child? What do you, like, I don't know. So she types again frantically. And, and, and then she says, look, I'm really sorry, but, but unfortunately your seats are no longer available. I'm like, what? I mean, what? What? <laughs> she says, look, I'm really sorry. There's been a huge mistake. So unfortunately, um, we're just going to have to bump you to first class. I said, I said, can I just pray about that for a moment? Shandama, yes, let's do it. Okay, so can I ask you this? Have you ever flown first class? 
No, see, not many people, a couple of sporadic hands everywhere. Can I tell you right now, if you cannot sustain first class, do not taste and see that it is good. I'm telling you right now, because you don't want to go back to cattle class with the rest of the plebs. I'm telling you, once you've seen it, you don't want to do it. But we did. So we get there. I get, listen, I get to the front of the airplane, first class. I hand over the tickets. I said, Mr. Murray, good to have you on the flight. Um, just, just turn left. I'm like, there's a left? What do you mean there's a left? Yeah, oh, there's a left. And so I turn and there is a curtain. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And as I open the curtain, it's like, oh, like it's, it's unbelievable. I walk in. I feel like they have literally built first class of like the tabernacle blueprints. I'm telling you, like it's the holy of holies. I have to wear a rope around my leg just as I die. They drag my unholy self out. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a Christian joke. Anyway, so I walk in. And automatically, automatically, I just, I, I, it's the only way I can describe it. I immediately felt like super self-righteous. Straight away, I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> wow. I, I, even my walk changed, I start swanning. Oh, wow, wow, look at, and I remember peeking back through the curtains. I'm like, oh, look at all those people in cattle class. Oh, oh my gosh, I wonder what the peasants are doing. You know, like, <laughs> seriously, just self-righteous. So, I go to my seat, in my, in my, you gotta understand the seats aren't even seats. They're like lounge chairs. And so I walk over, she's, I'm like, this is, a, this is a chair, just for me? Yeah, just for you. And she says, Mr. Murray, would you like to have your pajamas? I said, pajamas? What, how much? She said, they're free. I said, free? That's my favourite word, right? <laughs> free. And so she hands me my Jimmy Jam. Like, listen, it is, it is. It is 12.30 in the middle of the day. We haven't even taken off yet. I'm looking around first class. There's people who are meant to be in there all on their laptops, super busy still typing away, looking at me like I'm some rookie. And I'm like, I don't care what you're doing right now, but I'm putting my Jimmy Jams on now, right? <laughs> so at 12.30 on the flight in the middle of the day, I put on my Jimmy Jams. I'm swanning around, right? <laughs> Just loving life. <laughs> we, we, we fly, man, I tell you, I didn't even sleep. For, I'm, like, okay, I'm not going to waste first class sleeping. No way. I laid back and ate my fill. It was unbelievable. And then we land in, in, in Rome. And as we get to Rome, uh, we, we immediately jump into um, a tour. Now, I'm a huge fan of ancient history, especially church history. And so we thought, let's go to, um, to the Sistine Chapel. Anyone familiar with that? And Sistine Chapel, we go around. Unfortunately, on this particular day, it's closed. And so we're like, okay, well, well, let's walk around to the front of the Vatican, you know, the, the Pope's house, right? So we walk around the front, we see this big, massive square, and there is St. Peter's Basilica, which is the main church of the Catholic Church. And so we, we, we look, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Maybe we should go and check it out. There is um, like cattle grate, kind of separating lines, different places. I thought, well, let's just walk through them. We walk all the way up to the front door of St. Peter's Basilica. Big, huge timber doors. I'm like, I wonder if we can go in. So I push open the door, just walk straight in. Seriously, seriously, walked into St. Peter's Basilica. I walk in, I'm like, wow, this is cool. I look and there's probably about 400 people seated in pews facing the front. There's no seat for us. So I'm standing at the back. I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. Must be something happening. And then out of nowhere, the Pope walks up onto the stage. The Pope. I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, like that's that's, that's the Pope. That's, a, that's my Pope. My mum starts going nuts. So she's like, oh my God. She's very loud. That's the, that's the Pope. Like she's getting crazy. I'm like, mum, stop it. Now my mum, she does this typical mum thing. She busts out her camcorder. So this is before iPhones. So I'm talking like this, these ginormous cameras. You remember those? You, know, you wind up, like they're huge, right? So she starts filming. And now when my mum films, she also likes to commentate. 
So she, out, out loud. So she's filming. She's like, okay, we're at the Vatican. We've, we're in St. Peter's Basilica. And look, and there's my boy. I love my boy. I love you, honey. Okay. She swings it around. She's like, and there's the Pope. I'm just going to zoom in on the Pope and look at him. Oh, he's so cute with his little hat on. Look at him like this. And then she starts making mum jokes. She does. She's like, oh, look at the Pope. He must be pretty popular. <laughs> I'm like, mom, stop it. Stop it. You're embarrassing me. I'm a grown man, right? We stand in St. Peter's Basilica for about 40 minutes. And, and then we think, man, we couldn't really understand it. Obviously, being in a different language, we thought, man, what an experience. That is awesome. We thought, well, it's time to go. And so we walk out the same doors that we walked in, the same doors. We're talking to one another. We're like, wow, how cool was that? We saw the Pope. Man, that's, that's definitely not, not usual. And as we walk out, we look up and what was once an empty square is now filled with 10,000 plus people looking straight at us. So, so honestly, so we walk out and we're talking. I'm like, I'm, I look up, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I see all these people and I'm so caught up in the moment. Like, what do I, what do, I do? They're, like, they're expecting me to do something. Or so, so I just start waving like the Pope. I'm like, peace be with you. Peace be with you. <laughs> and an extra peace for you. Like I'm just getting caught up in the moment. And then this old Italian man runs up onto the platform, grabs us, like aggressively grabs us, reefs us off to the side. And he is irate. Like he is so upset. And he's yelling in broken English, how did you get in there? How did you get in there? I'm like, bro, we, we just walked in. He's like, no, no, how did you get in there? I'm like, seriously, we just walked through the door. He's like, no, how did you get in there? And he's going on and on again. And then he said these words that I'll never forget. Honestly, he said these words, how did you get in there? You don't belong in there. You don't belong. Now, now church, what you got to understand about my story, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. Like I was that kid who would wear my pyjamas to the PM service and sleep under the front row. Like I'm that kid. But never once in my entire Christian journey had I ever heard someone say to me, you don't belong in a church. And then I had to start this, uh, this thought process. And I started to think, is that what it feels like? Is that what it feels like? And then I started to realise, my goodness, maybe that's what most people think. Now, again, because we get so used to our Christian bubbles, am I right? Where we get, man, well, I'm enjoying it. I'm good. I'm pretty sure everyone knows that they belong in here. But the truth is we must start declaring to the city around us, hey, guess what? You, you actually belong in here. Because somewhere along the way, the message has been misinterpreted or misperceived or whatever's happened. And they think, man, man, maybe I don't belong in this place. And and the truth be told is, man, something's going to change. Because we sit in our auditoriums and man, God bless what God is, what, what He's done in our churches. But let me tell you, there's so many people beyond the walls of this building right now who still don't realise they belong here. And I started to have this kind of internal journey. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. Like this has been my journey with God in the church because I grew up around it. And I didn't realise how much, even my own thinking, I had isolated myself from the world that Jesus died to reach. And I started to ask this question, if if we're not attracting the same type of people Jesus attracted, then maybe we're not preaching the same message Jesus preached. If we aren't attracting the same type of people Jesus attracted, then maybe, just maybe, we're not preaching the same message Jesus preached. And now what's interesting is that when you look at Scripture, because Jesus is so amazing. You've got to understand He was really out of the norm to the religious folk of His time because Jesus, He was always around people that all the religious people thought, you actually shouldn't be in here. You shouldn't belong here. This dinner party is a perfect example of it. Here is Jesus. He, he is sitting around a dinner table with a bunch of religious leaders and out of nowhere, this prostitute with perfume busts into the dinner party and disrupts everything. And what's crazy is that Jesus lets her. 
He doesn't stop. He doesn't say, hey, hold on a second. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you should kind of prefabricate and perfect yourself before you come into this kind of setting. No, he lets her do it. And the religious people are, are, right, are, are irate about it. They can't believe that he would even let her be in there. And as I started to take this journey within my own life, I realised, my goodness, Jesus' example, Jesus' character, Jesus' model is what the church should model. In other words, if you want to know what someone values, simply look at their actions. Listen, if you were to chat with someone and they said, oh, I really value family. Well, honestly, if you see the way they treat their kids and it, and it isn't that well or they treat their wife, it isn't that good. Well, guess what? They don't really value their family. Why? Because your actions reflect your values. So when we look at the person of Jesus, you've got to recognise Jesus. Yes, He said a lot, but His actions said even more. And His actions were declaring, you know what? I value people. I value humanity. And it's at that point I started to take again the journey. Well, what, what should the church look like? What does a strictly inclusive church look like? What does it look like? And I came up with these kind of conclusions. Ready? Num- number one, if you're taking notes for all those, again, you want to <laughs> heaven, right? Okay, so number one, um, a, a strictly inclusive church. Well, guess what? It's committed to realness. Just being real. Can, can we be honest right now? Sometimes Christians, we can be the biggest fakers on the planet. And we say, oh man, it's fake. We've got some weird kind of doctrine we make up, like fake it till you make it. What? What does that even, what does that even mean? Like I, I get it, but I don't. And, and we have become, unfortunately, people who just to the world seem like we just, we're just kind of faking it. Yeah. But you got to understand your realness is actually attractive to those who are broken and lost outside the walls of this building. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. We know on the way to church here tonight, you are blowing up each other in the car and you're having arguments. As soon as you walk in the door, you're all holy. You're like, oh, greetings and salutations, brothers. Like what? Like... Come on, like you, you, we don't need to pretend and act. No, just, just be real. And I want to tell you, and I, I know even just from the, the interactions I've had with your pastors, this is a church where, man, you can just be real. You can bring the realness of your week to church. You might have had a bad week. Come on, you might you not be, you don't come along and think like you need to put on your Sunday best. Come on, you bring the worst if you need to, but keep showing up because we're committed to just being real with you. Just be real. Come on, you don't need to, come on, put a filter on it and distort it and, and project what you think people want you to be. Just, just be real. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, I've got some real issues. Well, guess what? He's got some real grace. I'm telling you right now. But just, just be real. Do you realise that some of you here and you've gone through some struggles and there's people in your world right now and they actually need to hear about your struggles? They do. Because when they look at Christians, they think we don't struggle. When they start chatting with you and they say, well, man, my marriage is going through a tough time at the moment. Really? Yeah, well, my marriage has been through some tough times, but we found this kind of this third cord strand that wasn't easily broken and, and we found it helped to stay together. Wow, really? You're a Christian? You go through struggles? Yeah, we go through struggles. Man, I've got this crazy addiction at the moment. I can't get over it. Hey, man, I've, I've had some addictions. What? I thought you were a Christian. Yeah, no. But I actually found something that superseded that thing within me that was so strong, that desire that was stopping me and hindering me from freedom, but I found something that surpassed it and I can... You see, your realness, it actually can reach people. The second thing about a strictly inclusive church is not only is it committed to being real, but watch this, this is gonna get a little little uncomfortable, ready? It is actually committed to journeying with one another's rawness. Just raw. Can I tell you, if we get really serious about reaching this city for for Christ, like really serious, can I tell you, um, it's actually gonna get pretty uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. Churches, and, and it's what I tell my church, I'm sometimes the worst PR guy for my church or for churches in general because I tell our parishioners, our people all the time, hey, guess what? Um, our prayer is you would find comfort in your soul because Jesus promises that. Rest for your soul, but we pray you never find comfort in your seat. 
Some people are already like, oh, let's think, wow, what? What are you trying to say? Now, listen, it, 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 it changes when you start to become a strictly inclusive church because now the beauty of the church is it causes us to sit next to people and do life with people that had it not been for the church and God's grace, we never would have interacted with ever before. And sometimes it's just uncomfortable. Just uncomfortable. And we've got to be committed to saying, you know what? I know you've got some raw issues. You've got some stuff, but I'm willing to journey with you. There's a, there's a movie that came out uh, a couple of years ago. It was a romantic comedy. It was called Fury. And I'm joking. It's not a rom... It's not. It's... Anyway, so... Uh, but, but I liked it. It was a good movie. And, and as I watched this movie, uh, I, I was really intrigued about it. And, and I actually found out that during the making of the film, um, there was actually an actor in there. Brad Pitt's in it. Come on, Brad Pitt, everyone, right? There's a real cheer over there. I was like, yes, okay. Take it easy. Um, but... We also had uh, another actor in there, uh, a guy by the name of Shia LaBeouf. Now, he plays a guy who actually, sh- he kind of shoots the cannon in the tank, a part of the team there. And he actually plays a Christian man in the movie. But not many people know this, but a lot of um, his life leading up to that movie making was an absolute train wreck. It was a mess. A- a- and-, and during the making of the film, the director of Fury, who is a Christian, and Brad Pitt, whose parents are Christians, sat down with Shia LaBeouf and said, hey, man, I think you need Jesus. Which is interesting because Brad didn't think he did. But anyway, so but he, he said, I, I think you need Jesus. Now, here's a true story. Shia LaBeouf, the actor, actually gave his life to Christ during the making of Fury. Gave his life. And I heard about this. I'm like, oh my gosh. And, I, and I'm like, man, I've got, I've got to find out about it. And he actually, the, the press found out about it. Hollywood found out about it. They said, man, what happened, Shia LaBeouf? Tell us what happened. Did you really become a Christian? And then he put out this quote. Just chuck this up on the screen. I had to um, cancel that a little bit because it's probably not appropriate right now, but um, he said this, listen, I actually became a Christian man and not in a beep, beep way. That's, that's swearing. Just so you know, right? Just want you to know that. Not in a beep, beep way, but in a very real way. When I read in the quote, you can read the rest of it another time. It's unbelievable. And I read this quote, I'm like, man, this is amazing. It's amazing. But then I started to see the links affiliated with this quote underneath from all of our good friends the Christian bloggers. And they started to say things like this. Well, if he was a Christian man, he wouldn't be saying things like that. And I'm like, hold on a sec, time out, Christian blogger. He's been saved for two weeks. See, you're going to understand this church, how many people know that salvation is a moment. In one moment, your soul, your heart can be set right with God because of Jesus' perfect work on the cross. It is a moment. But let me tell you this, although salvation is a moment, transformation's a journey. It's going to take some time to get these things sorted within you. So we must be committed to journeying with one another's rawness. There's some raw stuff that's going to happen. It's not going to look pretty. It's not going to be comfortable all the time. But we say, you know what? I'm going to commit to journeying with you through your rawness. Look, this is other crazy story in Scripture. Jesus, one of his best friends, his name is Lazarus. He dies. He dies. Shock, horror. Oh my gosh. But then Jesus rocks up a couple of days late and he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes back to life. Then Jesus, he turns to the disciples and he says, hey, disciples, I want you to roll away the stone, take off the grave clothes. And I remember reading that. I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is. There it is. It's our job description. Because how many people know Jesus is the life? Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is salvation. That's not my job. It's not my job. Don't have a Messiah complex. That's not our job. But He does turn to you and I, His disciples, for those who are Jesus followers in this room tonight. And He says, guess what your job is? Roll away the stone, take off the grave clothes. 
Now, now here, if we be honest, um, sometimes Christians are more known for the stones they throw than the stones they roll. But he says, not most of your job's not to throw stones, church. Our job's not to judge the humanity around us. That's not our job. The Holy Spirit will take care of stuff. Don't worry about that right now, but our job's to roll away the things that are preventing people from continuing their journey with Jesus. But the next thing he says is take off the grave clothes. See, what I found about church is that people come in and they really sincerely want to have a journey with Jesus. They really do. And they have a moment and they say, Jesus, oh man, I really need you. But when they walk in because they aren't what we're like or what like you're like, and we look at them and really, can we, can we be honest? Sometimes we just judge people by their grave clothes. Did, did, did you see that girl? What was she wearing? Was that a skirt or a belt? I don't know what that was. Hey, church, thank goodness she's wearing that in church. Because six months ago, she wasn't wearing anything, trying to find affirmation from a man, but now she's one step closer, come on, to finding affirmation from a Father in heaven. Listen, it's just grave clothes. It's grave clothes. Oh, oh my gosh, no, wait, wait. Did you see that guy in front of church? Smoking. The devil sticks, smoking. <laughs> hey, thank goodness he's smoking in front of the church. Because six months ago, he's smoking something else under a bridge, trying to self-medicate a pain in his heart. But now he's one step closer to the son who can set him free indeed. Listen, church, it's just grave clothes. So our job is not to judge them by it, but to help them get out of it. That's your job. It's my job, not just the pastor's job. It's everyone together to not judge them, but say, hey, man, I get it. And the reason why we get it, because the truth is we can have compassion for these people, because the honest truth is we've all still got a little bit of grave coast left ourselves. So I can have compassion with you. But we're going to be committed to that. Last but not least, it's not just um, committed to being real and committed to journeying through one another's rawness. It's, it's last but not least, it's, it's, it's relentlessly inclusive. Like relentlessly. You see, what I love about this story uh, of the woman, the prostitute with perfume, is that um, the scenario takes place. Jesus is at a dinner party and why, her why his attention is so drawn to her, I believe, is because she's actually the only real person in the place besides himself. Like all the, all the Pharisees of men is keeping it together and proper and prim. And they're like, man, I'm, I've got it all together. And she's the only one who's really real at the dinner table. She's the only one willing to admit that she's got issues. I'm only one willing to admit that I haven't got it together. But the Pharisees, no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm super good, man. I like, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. But also she's the only one who's willing to bring her rawness to the feet of Christ. So man, this is me. It's actually quite interesting that her, um, she wipes <laughs> his feet with her hair. Because this woman was a, a woman of the night, a prostitute. And in that context, in that time, to be known as a prostitute was to wear your hair out. That's how people knew. That's what identified you as a prostitute. And isn't it interesting to note that the one thing she was known by was now the thing that was colliding with the feet of Christ. Her identity was now, come on, man, Jesus' feet, the feet that are nail pierced for me. My identity is now solved in Christ. So I'm gonna bring the rawness of my past, the rawness of my issues, I'm gonna bring it before Jesus. But what's interesting about Jesus is he just, he just lets her. Yes, let, let her be. Because me, Jesus would say, I'm, I relentlessly include this woman. I don't know what you Pharisees are like, but this woman, she, she's why I came. She's why I'm here. Hey, Pharisees, I'm here for you too, but you just don't realise it yet. See, what's interesting about Jesus, He is so inclusive that He is willing to sit at the table with the self-righteous Pharisee and the unrighteous prostitute, and He welcomes both. So inclusive. 
But he actually says, um, hey, Simon, the reason why you don't get me yet is because you still measure your life against people like this woman. And the reason why you don't get grace yet, Simon, the reason why you don't understand what I'm all about yet, Simon, is because you still think you're good. You still think you're good. And that's why you don't love me as much as she does is because you still think you're better than her and you're, you're good. You don't need me, but you actually are just as bad as her, Simon. Your sin just looks different. But I still welcome both at the table. Now, for my journey, I, I'm, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. I, my, my testimony is not a crazy one. I didn't kind of peel away from church and become a drug dealer and do all this other stuff. And I remember thinking, man, well, that sucks for me because does that mean I wasn't forgiven as much? I won't love Jesus as much? But I started to realize that my, my, my Pharisee pride within me was just as sinful. And I had to come before the feet of Christ and say, my goodness, man, if I can relate to anyone in the story, it's really the self-righteous Pharisee. Because I was just consumed in my own goodness, measuring against everyone else's. But Lord, compared to your goodness, I fail to compare. You see, church, um, a strictly inclusive church tells the world that you're included here. Hey, there is actually a seat at the table for you. You're welcome at this dinner party called Victory. Every single person from the self-righteous to the unrighteous, you're all welcome, but recognize we all need Christ and He's included us. One last picture I'll show you and then I'm done. I was um, in the same, the same trip to the Vatican. I went to another, ch another church. I can't remember the name of the church, but it was an iconic church because it actually has a staircase within it. The staircase is actually known as Sancta Scala. If we could put this picture up on the screen. The reason why Sancta Scala is so popular, especially within the Catholic Church, is because it's believed to be the staircase that Jesus walked up after being whipped and beaten by Roman soldiers, walked up to receive his sentence from Pilate, or where Pilate washed his hands of Jesus and said, I don't want anything to do with it. So it's actually believed that Jesus' blood was on the staircase. The staircase was actually brought into Rome. They literally imported it into Rome because, man, this staircase must be amazing. So even to this day, this is the picture is exactly what it's like today. People will get on their knees, pray on each step, asking God for forgiveness, believing that the more I pray earnestly and the higher up I go on the staircase, the more I will be forgiven. And I remember seeing this firsthand and I felt like, like yelling at the bottom. Like yelling, no, <laughs> you're missing the point. Because how many people are grateful that Jesus didn't stand at the top of a staircase and yell down, try harder, do better. No, He came down and met me on the bottom step and said, it is finished. Come on, I've done it all. I will meet you on the bottom step. Church, this is the strictly inclusive love of God that guess what? He meets every single one of us on the bottom step. And you don't need to work your way to Him because He's done all the work on your behalf through the cross. And He says, you know what? I'll meet you where you're at. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel a thousand steps away from God, but I'm here to tell you, He has taken 999 steps towards you and He's asking you to take one. I'll meet you on the bottom step. I believe that's the message the church should be declaring to the world. God's not at the top. He met me at the bottom. Hey, he includes you right now. And He'll take you by the hand and He'll lead you, yes, into the onward and upward of a relationship with Jesus. But I'm so grateful that He didn't wait for me to get to Him, but He met me there. Do you realize you're included? You're loved? You're forgiven? See, what's interesting about this woman is that what she does, the crying, the weeping, it's really tears of gratitude. 
Somewhere along the way, we don't know the story. We don't know what happened, the backstory. All we know is that she is so grateful that she busts into this party despite the fact that really, by, by the law of the, you know, the, the Jewish law, she could be stoned for even being in the presence of these people. Like she could really get in some trouble, but she says, I don't care what you think. I just need to get to the feet of the Christ. And I just need, I just need to weep and, and just cry and just be so grateful because of what he's done on my behalf. So, so tonight, which, which one are you? Maybe here tonight you think, I just feel so unrighteous. I feel like, man, I am on the bottom step. Well, good news. He'll meet you there. Or maybe you were like me. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't, I mean, grace. Yeah, I, I love grace, but really it's lost its amazement because you think you don't need it as much anymore. Because I'm good. No, no, no. Don't lose your awe of grace. Because we all needed it just as much as she did. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 